Good morning, family. That was a good word, Les. You know, the Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard against him. The Bible says if the church is taken out of the earth, then the uh, wicked one will uh, run roughshod over the world. So we, the church, the kingdom of God, are the standard against the evil, the wave of the evil coming in. And so uh, what Les was just talking about is this thrust that God has initiated among us to empower the next generation. Today I want to start a uh, series of teaching called Empowering 21st Century Families. And, uh, you know, how many of you guys have uh, ever gone to Olin Mills with your family? Raise your hand. Whether when you were a kid or, or now that you're an adult, you've gone to Olin, right? You're taking the picture at Olin Mills. You know, the picture's a lie, isn't it? Right? I mean, like what was happening a few seconds before everybody smiled? Right? Just, just mayhem. So the picture really isn't telling the whole truth, and we all know that. It's just, you know, you, you force your, you know, if you don't this time, right, we're not getting the Big Mac after. So they put that smile on. and Well, this picture out here of uh, the 21st century family, our goal is for that to be a reality in your family. And if you're not married, this, I used to go to marriage seminars when I was single because I wanted to know how to have a successful marriage. And uh, being part of a seminar on parenting is important because you need to also learn what are you going to do with your kids when you have kids. Also, if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt, if you're an uncle, we are all in this together. And the reality is Satan has come against the family more than any other entity on earth. I want to show you why. Let's go to the book of Genesis, one. Genesis chapter 1. Now, for those of you that were not at the uh, parenting forum at the uh, Poway Performing Arts Theater last Tuesday, it was incredible. This was something a year ago that uh, I initiated a, a, a relationship with the principal of Poway High School and Del Norte High School uh, and the, uh, the, the head of student uh, services at Poway High School is the counselor who counsels hundreds of teenagers all year long and families and we got together and we said why can't the faith community and the public educators and the law enforcement come together and shepherd our community together of course the separation of church and state's an issue but we just decided to ignore that and go after our kids and so out of a year of building a relationship last tuesday night there was there were six of us uh, on the steering committee the leadership team that have been meeting behind the scenes for a year that uh, those of you who are there saw it, we did a half-hour presentation on the condition of our nation, especially when it comes to teenagers, preteen and teenagers, and then we broke into six workshops. We did not know if two people were going to show up or 20 people were going to show up or what we were going to have, and over 500 people showed up. The workshops, there were too large for many of the workshops. There weren't enough chairs, not enough room, and now we have people saying, hey, we didn't know about that. We didn't hear about that, and so we're going to do it again in three weeks. And there are people, there, amen, there are people that are actually saying, how can we do this in our city? We're already getting those kind of questions. We're like, whoa, wait a minute, we're just, we're just trying to do something here. So with that backdrop, I'm going to be teaching on empowering families in the 21st century. And then we have the workshop coming up that Shelly's going to be doing with team in our church on March 2nd. And uh, all of this to combat Satan's efforts to destroy families and to destroy the next generation, which is really what he is after. He targets them young. And so we have got to be wise stewards. Please don't just be selfish and think, well, I'm not married or I don't have a wife or I don't have children. Come on, you are in this with the rest of us. It is a community of believers that are marching together. And every time you come into contact with a young person, you are either shaming them, ignoring them, or empowering them. You're either belittling them or you're lifting them up. You remember when the little children came and the disciples said, hey, hey, don't bother the master. And Jesus said, Jesus rebuked the adults and said, let the little ones come to me for such is the kingdom of God. Well, Satan knows that they are the kingdom of God and he wants to destroy them. We are the adults that are leading the kingdom of God right now and we need to protect them. Look, look in Genesis chapter 1 and in verse 27 to 28, God says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
So we're talking about conflict here. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. The very entity that God uses, that the, the most powerful entity God uses to usher in the kingdom of God into the earth was, is, and always will be the family unit. That is why Satan works so hard to destroy marriages and break up the family. Because then the, 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 the society begins to unravel. I remember um, Joel, Joel, Joel Osteen's dad, who was a faith preacher, said uh, he, was, he had a dream and uh, he said the devil was walking down the sidewalk of his neighborhood and, the, the, and Satan was dispatching spirit of alcohol going to that house. Uh, spirit of spousal abuse going to that house. You know, spirit of pornography going to that house. And they got to um, uh, Mr. Olstein's house and Satan told one of the demons to go into that house. And he said, oh, no, we don't want to go into that house. He said, he said why not? Just every time we go into that house, he beats us up. They were afraid to go into that kingdom household because he was a faith preacher standing on the word of God and taking authority over the powers of darkness. You and I need to be developing outposts for the kingdom of God in our homes. You are a kingdom outpost in the earth. Jesus said, where two of you agree on earth is touching anything, my father will do it. The prayer of agreement is a portal for heaven to enter the earth. And there's no agreement more powerful than the agreement of a husband and wife because they are one flesh. It doesn't get any more powerful than that. That is why Satan interjected himself in between the man and woman and God. He first wedged his way in between them in Genesis chapter 3. Then he wedged his way in between the man and the wife. Then he wedged his way in between the, the sons, Cain and Abel, and, and had Cain kill Abel. You see, Satan has been after destroying the family unit from the very beginning because they are the agents of ushering in the kingdom of God, taking dominion over the earth. And so Satan took dominion over the earth and, he, and he, he's running roughshod. But when families decide that they are going to stay married and just slug it out and make it work, and they are going to raise kingdom kids and be faithful to their covenant, decide that they're going to be bold and courageous and lead their kids in the ways of God and build a family unit, that is going to be the most formidable force that Satan can ever come up against. Is that family unit submitted to God, loving one another, and raising up the next generation. Next week, my, Pastor Mike and I, our youth pastor, are going to talk about raising spiritual giants. But today, I want to talk about uh, connecting with your kids. And that is grandparents, aunts, uncles, older brothers and sisters, moms and dads. How do we connect with this next generation that Satan is trying to destroy? Now, some of you might think that what I'm talking about is kind of Pollyanna that we can actually have healthy families when the divorce rate being over 60%, many of you have been divorced and there's no shame. That is not what this is about. This is about let's get healed, let's get strong, let's turn these statistics on their head. I don't believe it has to keep increasing. I believe that the people of God decide that we are different than the world and we are gonna be faithful to our covenant with God, faithful to our covenant with our spouse and faithful to our covenant with our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. We can turn the tide and have a moral revolution in the United States of America. But the church is gonna to have to lead it. Judgment first belongs in the house of God. So, if we decide that we are going to take the charge on this and fulfill Genesis chapter 1, look what the Bible says will happen. Genesis 22.1, uh, Genesis 22.17 says this, Your children shall possess, your children shall possess the gates of their enemy. You know who he was talking to? Abraham, who trusted God with his son Isaac. And when God said, you do with your son what I'm telling you to do. Yes, sir. What is that? I want you to sacrifice him. Whatever you say, God. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to do it. When he was about to do it, God said, stop. Now I know that you will do whatever I say. You will submit your family to my leadership. And because of that, your sons and daughters are going to possess the gates of their enemies. You see how it all begins with coming under God's authority and then it flows through the family? Look at this other promise regarding our children. 
Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says this. Behold, look, see, understand. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who have his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Isn't that interesting that God puts puts children in the context of spiritual warfare? That rather than our children having to be swept up in the negative flow of the spirit of this world, our children can be warriors and warrioresses. They can be arrows being shot into the public school system, shot into the marketplace, shot into the entertainment industry. Our children can be the next light of the world and the salt of the earth. But it takes you and I deciding that we are first going to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. You can't leave it up to the youth pastor to raise your kids spiritually. I mean, Mike gets your kids and Sissy gets your kids one or two hours a week. You have them the rest of the time. We are here to support you, but you are the leaders of your home. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Oh, come on, please. That was sad. Can I hear an amen? amen? I love unsolicited enthusiasm. And this is what Satan's afraid of, is us raising up the next generation of giant killers. Now, as I am talking to you about this, about us reaching the heart of the next generation, and I really mean this for everybody, it's not just those of you who are parents. When you, when a a young person sees an adult, when you come in contact with a a child here on this campus, you are God to them. You are the one who knows everything. You are a big person. You are an adult. And the way you look at them, the way you treat them, the way you touch them, the conversation you have with them, communicates to them who they are. Even ignoring young people communicates that they don't have much worth. And so I'm asking you, in your mindset starting right now, I want you to see yourself as a player in raising the next generation, whether you have your own children or not. What do you think of when you see a group of teenagers hanging out? I heard it. Mischief, get in trouble. How about, woo! Those are errors in somebody's quiver. They just don't know it yet. They are advancers of the kingdom of God in their public schools. They're the next business and men and women. They're the next engineers. They right now are evangelists in the earth. God used young people all the time. Mother Mary is only about 13 years old. Daniel was a teenager. David was a teenager. There is no junior Holy Spirit. You and I need to start recognizing the treasure within this next generation. We have them right here on our campus. They're in our steward. And we need to uh, impart to them dignity, strength, value. So, along those lines, I want to teach for just a few moments, and then I'm going to call another member of our congregation of Karen Farrell, who is a teacher in the public school system here, who has enormous uh, uh, experience with young people, and she's going to uh, help me today. But let me lay a foundation very quickly. Let me ask you a question regarding the scripture we just read. Who came first in this story, the parents or the kids? The parents, right? It wasn't hard, was it? Theologically, it's not hard, but in raising a family, sometimes it can be. That's my first point is this. Parents must be the parent. I see so many parents refusing to be the parents in families. They allow the kids to run the household. Giving the kids the wheel when they don't know how to drive the car is disastrous for everyone. Why do some parents give their kids the power to lead the family and or their own lives too early? We've had this liberal parenting philosophy that has been in the planet for the last 30 years that has raised a generation of brats. They're unruly. They don't respect authority. And they have no, no sense of honoring one another. Uh, because the Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. They do not have the wisdom or the self-control to know what is good and what is wrong, what is right and wrong. It takes you and I as parents to help guide and lead them. Why do parents refuse to do this? There are just, there are many reasons, but let me just name a few very quickly. One is the fear of being hated. There are parents that just cannot emotionally endure parents being mad at them. What did I say? 
Well, our parents be mad at them too. No. There are parents that just can't tolerate uh, and endure kids being mad at them and even hating them. This philosophy that we are just, you know, we're to be our children's friends. Your child has a lot of friends. They do not need you as a friend. They need you as a parent. I remember when I was about 25 years old, my dad and I had an estranged relationship. And I flew to Ohio and I went to his house and I said, Dad, I got your Christmas gift this year. It's me. I said, you are the only guy on the planet that I can call dad. It's about time we start having a relationship. I forced a relationship with my father because I realized I need a father. I have a lot of friends, but I need a father. Your children need you to be mom and dad. You are the one that sets the rules for them. I mean, they just have zillions of desires. They want everything and they want it right now. And if you and I are afraid to say no to our children, they're just going to be a nightmare. And it's not training them for reality. If you and I cannot put in uh, parameters for our children, accountability measures, uh, uh, delayed gratification, they are not going to learn how... If you do not allow your child to experience disappointment and loss... You are setting them up to fail in life. You've got to follow through when you say, if you don't do your homework, you will not be allowed to play on your Xbox. If you don't obey me when we're in the grocery store, we are not going to go to McDonald's. And when they don't obey you and you get out, it's like you don't want them to have the disappointment. You don't want the meltdown. You don't want the tantrum. You don't want the conflict of not going to McDonald's. So you let them have McDonald's anyway. They've just learned that they can misbehave and still get what they really wanted. Because you weren't strong enough on the inside to draw the line and say no. And they don't understand it's for your good. Like I've told you before, when I tell Elliot, I discipline you because I love you. I have boundaries because I love you. You have to wait to get that thing. I will pay for half of it. You have to raise the other half of the money. I'll give you uh, chores to do. And you just can't have it right now. But it just came out and all my friends have it. Well, it's probably about six months before you get it. Delayed gratification. And I, he said, why? And I said, because I love you. And he said, can you just not love me for one day? But there are so many parents who just cannot stand their children hating them or being mad at them or not understanding the rules and the boundaries you put on them. But children, the Bible says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But correction will drive it far from them. I like to say parents need to have emotional courage. You are the boundary setter. You need to say to your child, you cannot swim in the deep end. When they say, why? You say, because you're only two years old. You're going to drown. I remember Sam at the beach. We had, my, we had Nana, which is uh, their, Hope's mom. We had my mom there. We had me there. We had my sister there. And then we had our six kids there. And Sam still squeezed out of our boundary. He was 200 yards down the beach. Because, what's that? On an extremely busy holiday. He broke out of our boundaries. See, kids just want to break out of the boundaries. I mean, it was a scary day. I had to run down. And somebody obviously saw this skinny Asian little kid running down the beach like this all by himself. And that was pretty obvious that he, that he, had, he, that he was an escaped convict. And they, they held him until an adult came. And I said, thank God that it was obvious to you, this kid. Man, we see him in restaurants. We see him in movie theaters. We see kids out of control everywhere. And parents just don't seem to want to have boundaries for their children, and it's not helping the child. I love this commercial. I was going to show it today, but we just don't have time. This commercial about uh, Oscar Mayer winner hot dogs where you have to say no, 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 but you say yes to the hot dog. One of the no's is the dad's out there with this little six-year-old boy with the chainsaw, and he goes, yeah, that's it. Just give it a good pull with the chainsaw, and the little kid's going, really? And the mom's inside looking out the window, and she goes, no, no. Sometimes the dads act like kids too because we like to have fun, but Somebody has got to say no, and somebody has got to throw down the gauntlet. So one, uh, parents have a fear of being hated by their kids. I say you're going to be hated by your kids sometimes, and it's for their good. You've got to stand your ground. Secondly, the fear of being too strict. It is true. The Bible says, do not provoke your child to wrath. But in being afraid of being too strict, many parents are just way too lenient because they're afraid of their child experiencing pain or disappointment. But if you don't coach them in the pain of disappointment and delayed gratification, as I said... They will not be prepared for life. Do you know mother birds start taking the twigs out of the nest 
and making it more and more uncomfortable for the baby birds until finally the baby birds just fly out of the nest. Some of you are making it way too comfortable for your children never to leave the home. It's like 30% of our 20-year-olds are still living at home. 30% of our next generation is still having a shelter of their head and being fed their food and have their laundry done by their parents because we're making it too comfortable for them to get out there and build a life. Now, sometimes they need to come home, and I don't know if ours will or not. Um, I hope to God they find the will of God. Listen, there are times they need to come home, and thank God they have a home to come home to. But for the most part, too many of our young men and women have not yet flown out of the nest and learned how to build their own families and how to lead in life. And it's, it's not a positive thing. So many times we make it too comfortable for them to leave the nest. But other times we're afraid of being too lenient. The Bible says, he who spares the rod hates his child. So we want to make sure that we give them the rod of correction uh, so that our child will learn the way. But some of you never spare the rod. Some parents are just helicopter parents. They're just right on top of their kid 24-7. Why do some of our parents overdo it? Honestly, because you're afraid that they're going to do what you did when you were a teenager. We, we remember. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm having a hard time with my teenager, and then I think about what I was doing when I was a teenager. I'm like, man, he's a saint. We know what we did, and sometimes we're just afraid of the big bad world, and we just, we just protect them. We never let them experience the negative. I mean, in our church here, we have people that homeschool, we have people that private school, we have people that public school, um, we have people that do charter school, and every one of them will flat out say the other one's evil. Not every one of them. Many times you get in this conversation like, your kid's in public school, you've given them over to Satan. And then the public school parents will say, you cloister your children, you have them in a bubble, they're never going to survive. And there's just like this philosophy of the right way to do it. What I want to say is whether, I mean, we have homeschooled. We have charter schooled, we have private schooled, and now we are public schooling. So we've done all of them. And what we have found is, every, first of all, every parent and every family has to do what they feel God's called them to do. But within that, we cannot uh, just open up the world to them and let them have too much rain. But we also can't be out parenting out of fear, which most of us do, and we cloister them so they never get hurt. Johnny never, never gets hurt. He never, you know, yesterday... Sam, I looked out the window and Sam's climbing up on the tree with the other kids. And he's like way up in the tree and he's been and hoping I looked and he goes, I said, oh, there's Sam in the tree. She goes, he's going to get hurt. And I said, yeah, probably. But he's going to fall down. He'll break his arm. I said, yeah, I won't end up in the hospital room with a broken arm. And it'll be a great story for him to tell. Right? I mean, here's the two. The mom is saying, our kid's climbing in the tree. He's going to hurt himself, which is true. And it's probably stupid for him to do it. And then here I am over here saying, yeah, and he's probably going to break his arm and it'll be a story. Right? All right. There's got to be some place in the middle where we can meet where wisdom is found. We just don't know where it is. And that's, that's the thing. We all have our philosophies of mercy and truth, accountability and leniency. Everybody's looking at Hope like that right now. Like, do you have something you would like to say about this story? It was see that. I remember you said that it is not a climbing tree. That's what she said. That is not a climbing tree. And I said, he climbed it. Looks like a climbing tree to me. The point is, whatever, whatever uh, world you've decided to raise your kid in, whatever school system, whatever kind of training, the reality is we have to find the right balance of accountability and leniency, mercy and truth. It's hard to find that. It's not a science. You've got to walk it out, but we've just got to make sure that we are not being too strict or too lenient. The reality is, I mean, like when my kids are riding their uh, tricycle, or their, their, their bike with training wheels on it. And they say, Daddy, Daddy, I'm ready to go without the training wheels. I'm like, you know, no, you're not ready yet. Dad, I'm 10. You know, I just, I, I just did not think they were ready to go without training wheels. But every one of them proved me wrong. They would just push me and push me and push me. I said, fine, all right. I'm going to take the training wheels off and you're going to run into the brick wall and you're going to cry, skin your knee. I'm prophesying death on them, right? They take out the training wheels and they're kind of wobbling like this. And they, and they did wreck, but they got back up and they said, I can do it, daddy, I can do it. And they got back on every single one of them, rode a two-wheeler before I thought they were ready. Kids are incredibly resilient. And then they go to the four-wheeler, which is going to happen in just a couple years with us. 
Uh, yeah, the four-wheeler, not the four-wheelers in the sand. We'll do that without your knowledge. I'm talking about a car. The reality is we have to continually let go more and more because ultimately, once you have done all that you and I, all you can do, you ultimately have to trust Jesus with your child. Because this, this is the goal of parenting. The goal of effective parenting is to empower the child to succeed in life. And that means they have to learn how to live independently from you. Children to grow up dependent on their parents are not going to be successful in life. Our goal, my goal as a pastor is when people come into this church, my goal is to help you walk with Jesus, not walk with me and Jesus. My goal is to help you know the word and learn how to pray and learn how to hear from God for yourself, learn how to walk with God. My job is a surrogate to help you walk with Christ. And then you become a peer. And then we build the kingdom of God together. And then I learn from you. It's not to keep you dependent on me as a, quote, spiritual father. It's for me to help you be independent and walk your own walk with Jesus Christ. We have to have the same goal with our children. The difficult balance, uh, the, the, the balance is difficult. That's why Shelly's workshop that's coming up in a couple of weeks is going to be phenomenal. Her credentials are, are really incredible. I want you to uh, hear this about Shelly very, very quickly. Well, you know what? I'll do that, uh, I'll do that next week. I'll tell you about her credentials because I'm uh, running out of time here and I want Karen to come up and, and uh, share with you. How can we transfer? This is a very important point and I'm going to transfer to Karen. How can we take the correction, the instruction, the love, the affirmation, the education. How can we transfer this into our children? One of the reasons we've been doing this uh, parenting form is because there is a huge gulf between parents and children, especially preteens and teenagers. And what we have found is that there's a bigger gulf than the parents realize. And I was one of those parents. You think you know the world of your teenager, but I've had so many teenagers tell me, good Christian teenagers, there's just some things I don't tell my parents. And sometimes they're associating with somebody that you're not aware they're associating with. As Les was saying, they are involved in the social media and they're going places you don't know they're going to. You just don't know everything going on with your teenagers. And like the counselor at Poway High said, there's this Christian mom that comes in and says to me, my child has decided she's not going to have uh, sex until she gets married. And I want you to tell me, but I feel this distance between she and I lately. I want you to help me. How can I keep my relationship strong with my daughter so I can support her and her convictions? The counselor said what the parent didn't know was that daughter was just in my office the day before saying, what birth control should I use? And she was not a virgin anymore. And that's not an isolated case. That's why we did this parenting form. There's a huge gulf between what parents think is going on and what is actually going on. So what is the medium for us to be able to get, connect with our kids and give them the things they need? It is a healthy relationship. A healthy relationship is the bridge we must use to transfer to our child everything he or she needs. And that bridge is only as strong as the relationship itself. Because rules without relationship equals rebellion. An example, yesterday I had a father-daughter date with Ava, my seven-year-old. We went out, went to Olive Garden. We had a great time together. We ate until we were just both ready to puke. It was so much fun. And then we come home, and she is uh, misbehaving a little bit. And when I said, Ava, and I brought some correction to her, I said, you need to listen to your mama when she's talking to you. There was a difference after we had spent that one-on-one -on -one time together. If it was just a correction that was kind of isolated in the day with all the other kids and, and I just bark out a correction to her, it's just so cold. It's so, you know, principle driven. But when we partied until we almost passed out at Olive Garden, eating this big ice cream sundae and laughing and her giving me kisses and me giving her kisses, and it was such a wonderful father-daughter time. When I go home and I say, Ava, there's, it's, it's now in context of love. And the correction she knows you know I love you because we just pigged out on some ice cream half hour ago and you know what you're doing right now is wrong, right? It's a completely different feel when it comes at you. And this is where Karen Farrell comes in. Karen is one of uh, the most experienced teachers that I've ever met. She's worked her entire teaching career in San Diego City Schools. 
She's taught preschool through adults, special education, including every disability, children who are incarcerated, gifted children, children in foster care and group homes. She's also been a school administrator. She has coached, mentored, counseled, and tutored hundreds of kids in all various kinds of socioeconomic situations. And the majority of her skill and knowledge has not come out of books, colleges, or lectures, but directly working with hundreds of young people over 25 years and has a deep dependence on the Holy Spirit. She was recently just given an award by the Mission Federal Credit Union called Why I'm Thankful for My Teacher. Students wrote in nominating their teachers and she was picked out of 8,000 entries. She was on Channel 8 being given this award. And one of the things Karen uh, helps us with, which she's going to help you with right now, is this. Oh, goodness. I'm just amazed at the time. I'm going to give her 15 minutes. Can I give her 15 minutes? Okay. The second point is you got to know your kid. Every kid is different. It's not a cookie cutter. You've got to get to know your child to be able to learn how to communicate to them, to be able to bring the information to them they need. It's different with Ellie than it is with Isabella. They're completely different types of children or with Lily or with Ava or Josiah or Sam. I've got to learn each child so I know how to get it to them. But what Karen works with primarily are the children whose relationships in their lives have been completely destroyed and they are the last road before there is no more road. You do not want your child being ended up in Karen's class. She works with the end of the road children. And the reason I wanted to talk to you is because it's in that brokenness that the core needs are obvious. What they did not get is why they're in her class. So I want her to come and share with you about knowing young people because there are just a few basic things every child needs, especially pre-teens and teenagers, and Karen knows right well. Let's welcome Karen Farrell. All right. No, don't take it out. Put it back in your belt. You got it? I think so. All right. I think so. I'll go as, as quick as I can. Okay, and I'm grateful Charlene Carpenter, one of my dear friends, isn't here because her son was in my class for two years. And he does come from a wonderful, loving Christian family. Um, I hope I don't come across judgmental or harsh, but I'm from New York and I went to Catholic school, so the DNA runs really, really deep as far as that goes. Um, I totally, totally love teenagers and I'm really, really passionate about them. They're a combination of little children and adults. It's like a science experiment and they meet in the middle. Um, I could give my son or one of my students a toy or a puzzle I picked up and they're like mesmerized like a little kid, but then you'll turn around and they'll say something adult-like with absolutely no baggage, no pretense, no worry they're going to offend you. Uh, one of my students told me the other day, I told Pastor John, he said, you know, Miss Farrell, you've been really stressed lately. And I said, why? And he said, because you've been cussing a lot. So they'll tell you, like, straight out what's, what's going on. A, cu- a couple years ago, I took my son back to New York to visit some family, and uh, I was trying to be real spiritual around my brother and my sister-in-law, and I kept referring to myself as a Christian woman. I kept saying, I'm a Christian woman and I feel this, and I'm a Christian woman and feel that. And I didn't think my son was even listening. He was a teenager, and he took me aside, and he said, enough with the Christian woman stuff. He said, if they don't know by now who you are, he said, Mom, give it up. So that's what I love about teenagers. They just come right out and say it. So one thing I've learned, or many things I've learned from working with teens, is there's three specific things they want from the adults in their life. Validation. They want to know they matter. They want to know you care about them. You love them regardless of what they did, what they say, what they think. They want someone to listen to them. And they want unconditional love and acceptance. And what's real important about the someone to listen to them is that they want you to listen to them without judgment. And I always say, I got to cut out the faces because I'm from New York. I got to sit on my hands sometimes. I got to hold tight on the chair because my body language is easy to read. You got to stop. You've got to turn off your cell phone, turn off the laptop. When my son comes in my room and wants to talk, I'm watching TV. I finally figured out a couple years ago, buy a DVR. Because if he walks in my room, no TV show is worth telling him, well, you know what, I'm busy, or my eyes are on the TV, or my eyes are on the remote. You have a teenager that wants to talk to you, you listen. They don't want to hear about how it was in your day, they don't care. They don't want to hear how you handled the situation, they don't care. You become background noise. 
When my son talks to me about something, I got a lot to say. I got a lot to comment. I know a lot of things. He will actually talk over me. And then I realize this is an opportunity. I'm fortunate enough that I have a teenager that wants to talk to me. I'm going to shut up and I'm going to listen. And I'm going to refrain from commenting. And I'm going to refrain from judging. And my students in my class say, I just wish I had somebody that would listen to me and wouldn't make faces and wouldn't judge me and wouldn't tell me about the mistakes I'm making. Teenagers are really, really intuitive. They know if they're making mistakes. They've picked up what they needed to know from you by now. By the time a kid is 15, 16, 17, they know what you're all about. They know what you would say. They just want somebody to listen. They want to know that they're in a safe, comfortable place and they can vent. My son said to me once when he was talking, he was talking out loud and asking a question. Well, I dove right in with the answer. Talked right over me. At the end of the conversation, he tells me what his friend said. Well, the friend said exactly what I had already said. But you know what? I didn't remind him of that. They don't want to be reminded. They just want somebody to listen to them. Um, God gave us two ears and one mouth. We need to listen twice as much as we talk. Um, act interested, even if you're not. Even if you find that your teenager, oh, they do so many annoying things, they're this, you know. Sometimes I'll call parents, the few that I have that are interested, and I'll say, you know what? I really love your kid. I enjoy them so much. And you know what the parent tells me? You should see their room. You should see their friends. And I think to myself, a teacher's calling you and telling you how awesome your kid is and all you can do to me is complain. We need to start realizing that our kids are gifts. They're not who we wanted them to be. My son didn't go to one school dance. He thought the yearbook was stupid. I expected my son to be captain of the football team, head of the Christian club. He didn't go to one club. I couldn't believe it, but you know what? Kids aren't the kids we thought we were going to have, and they're certainly not us. It's not our, our second time to, have, um, to live our life again. Uh, resist the urge to criticize our kids. Find out their dreams and goals from the future. They know what they want to do in the future. We just need to find it out and then support those dreams and goals. Ask what you can do to help them. Even if it's as silly as texting them during the day, don't text them and say, did you do your laundry? Text them and say, I was thinking about you. You know, I'm really proud of the man or the woman you're becoming. I really like the way you did such and such. Don't criticize their friends. Friends are everything to a teenager. Invite the friend over. I told my son yesterday, I'd like to take that kid out to eat. Why don't we do something? Instead of criticizing the friends. Friends are everything to a teenager. Tell them I admire the man or the woman you're becoming. I really have a lot of respect. You know, I heard a man speak at church years ago, and it really touched me. He'd been real active in sports, and um, his son had played on every varsity team. And he realized when the son left high school that one of the mistakes he made was he never said, you know what, I saw Jesus in the athlete you were. I'm really touched by the way you lost. You lost that game like a Christian would have lost, with dignity, respect for your teammates. I really like the Christian you were as an athlete. He never said that. And that really, really touched me. We need to support what God is doing in our teenagers and acknowledge it and say, wow, I noticed you said something or you did something. You know, that really touched me. And that's something that really builds the confidence and the self-esteem in kids. Teenagers are dying for validation. They want to hear that they're important. They matter. I buy little gifts and things for my students. You wouldn't believe the feedback I got. It's like giving a gift to a little kid at Christmas time. Repeat to them often, nothing you can do ever affects how much I love you. And I hear, um, not just from my son, but I hear from my students, honestly, stories that want to curl my toes. And I tell them, and sometimes they're very reluctant to share things with me because a lot of them are criminal in nature, and I'll say, you know what? Nothing you can tell me right this second is going to change how much I love you. Nothing. You can tell me anything. And my love is going to stay as constant as it was before you told me the story. And teenagers are so much more than secure in sharing things with you. And you want your kids to want to come back when they get older. You want them to return. And most importantly, we don't want to learn our mistakes, so we have to relearn them on our grandkids. So anyway. Do you want me to? So, oh, I can keep talking. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, 
Okay, and don't let, this is important too, don't let pride cause you to continue to be disconnected with your team. I've made a heck of a lot of mistakes in my life, and I'm going to assume that everyone else did, and I have to go to my son a lot of times, and I have to say, you know what, I blew it. I wasn't the mother God wanted me to be for you. I took my own interests over yours, and I just want to tell you that I, please forgive me. And I don't know a teenager that won't say, sure, I forgive you. I haven't had a student. My son has never said it. Kids want to forgive you. Kids want to love you. Kids want to be with you. So I say, would you forgive me? Let's start again today. Today, this morning, I'm going to be the mother God wanted me to be for you. And as God, his mercies are new every morning, and the relationship becomes healed. So if you made a mistake, it's okay. You can start today opening up communication with your teenager. You can start today validating, supporting, encouraging, and listening. And I always tell my son, you're the best gift God ever gave me. Do I always feel that way? No. But I act as if, and that's what the Bible tells us to do. He's the best gift, and if he realizes he's my best gift, then that is going to help fulfill the call God has on his life. So. I'm just, I'm very mid corner. I'm going to shut you down. Amen. Okay. Okay. Um, I said here, turn off your cell phone, turn off the TV, and close your laptop. Tell, tell kids you desire to spend some time with them and let them pick the time and place. So actually make a date with your student. I had written real fast some keys to remember and some are really important. And a lot of these I actually learned from my high school students. Yeah, they're in the bulletin. When your teen asks about your day, it's number five, they're really just initiating conversation. Most kids don't really care how your day was. They really only care how their day was. We're their role model. Refrain from dumping your bad day on them. They don't want to hear that your boss is out to get them. They don't want to hear that your coworkers are horrible. They don't want to hear that the system's falling apart. If you talk that way to teens about your job, it doesn't give them any incentive ever to try to make a difference in the future in their world. If I complained about the state of education to my students, none of them would want to be a teacher. So the, nobody would want to be a nurse if the nurse came home and told her kids how lousy the patients were and how horrible um, health care is today. So it's our responsibility. If you want to complain about your job, call a friend. Okay, um, four, don't badmouth the other parent ever. Kids have a real hard time if you badmouth the other parent. That parent is half your child's DNA. You picked them. A lot of us aren't proud about the choices we made, but we picked that other person. That kid doesn't want to hear anything about how horrible the other parent was, ever. They never want to hear it. It makes them feel bad, and 99.99% of times, all the kid does is glorify the absentee parent. You end up the loser in every single sense of the way. The kid just thinks the other parent just walks on water, and every bad thing you say just solidifies that with the child. Um, your child is not your therapist, <laughs> number three. It's way too much responsibility for teens to worry about your finances, your relationships, your employment, or your mental health. Call a friend. Teens don't want to hear how your relationships are falling apart, you don't have any money to pay the bills, your job stinks. It's too much responsibility for them to worry about. I had a girl a couple years ago that told me, and this is of course an extreme case, but a couple years ago she told me that she found a letter from the landlord that said they were three months behind in their rent. And she went to her mother and she said, what are we doing about this? We're three months behind in rent. And the mother said, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to Verona today. I think I can make it up by six o'clock. And that's an extreme case. However, she was 17 years old. It's not a 17-year-old girl's problem to worry about how the rent's going to be paid. It's not a kid's problem to find out how are we going to eat. Those are, those are problems that are way too much for any teenager to handle. Um, six, teens remember your words and actions towards people in your life, your circumstances and situations. They don't trust mere talk. They want to see it. Seven, teens know a lot more than we give them credit for. They're listening, they're observing, and they're figuring things out. Eight, ask them what you can do to help them have a better day. What can I do for you? 
I say that to my son. Do you want something special for dinner? Do we need to take a ride? Do you need this? Do you need that? What can I do? It's my responsibility and I'm going to do it. It's not what they can do for you at this point. It's what you can do for them. Nine, be aware that they have strong opinions and feelings about things they may not share with you. Just because they're quiet and don't seem to be listening doesn't mean they're not paying attention. They got it all. They know what's going on. Ten, don't bombard them with questions. It's not an interrogation. They will talk when they feel safe, not judged and secured. And I really learned this with my son, and I learned I can read my students at this point like a mother can read an infant. We start to understand their cries, and we know by the way they look and their body language, you know exactly what's wrong with them. I know with my son at this point, and we all need to get to the place where we can kind of read our teens like we read our infants. And I can say to a student, there's something wrong with you. I can just tell by your body language, by everything. And then I give them time till they're ready to sit down next to me and tell me what's going on. And the same thing with my son. He walks in the door, especially boys. They can't handle being, men can't handle being bombarded with questions, so I have to wait. I'm available to you, and I'm going to wait. And it might be 15 minutes, it might be an hour, but eventually he comes in and he starts telling me what's going on. Be your kid's cheerleader. Show up at events, get involved, and let them know you're thinking about them during the day. And when you're at events, turn off your cell phone. Shut the laptop. Take the iPod. You're there to watch them. You're never going to get that game back. You're never going to get that time back. It's only a phone call. It's only a person. It's only a text message. Let it go. Leave them in the car. The kid's going to remember that the cell phone was more important than them. They're going to remember that. Don't expect the same responses and feedback you'd get from a friend or a spouse. Sometimes, uh, especially single moms, and I'm one, we dump on our teen and then we expect them to fix us. They're 17 and 18 and 16 years old. They don't know how to fix us. Teens make poor choices because they lack experience, they lack guidance, or they're in extreme pain. So before we're quick to judge our kids, realize that if they are making poor choices, the reason is because they're young, they didn't know any better, or they're in some kind of pain. And 14 is really important. Don't nag about chores and jobs at home. By the time a kid's a teenager, it's over. If you didn't teach them how to do the dishes or sort their laundry or take out the trash, they're not going to learn at 15, 16, and 17. That was a job that needed to be taught at 5, 6, and 7. Give it up, hire a maid. It's not worth <laughs> nagging your teenager. You have very little time with your teenager, and it's not worth nagging them about dishes. I figure I'll do the dishes myself at this point. At least my son wants to talk to me. But with so little time left, I'm not willing to spend it lacking. And the funny thing about teens is they're sloppy, they're dirty, but boy, when they're ready to get their own apartment, everything's neat as a pin. It's like all of a sudden. Okay, 15, teens will be out the door in a few short years. How you treat them now will determine if they want to come back and visit. Make sure they know you are a better person because they're your child. I tell my son, I'm a better person because I'm your mom. I am. And um, what's really sad, as John said, I get students that are at the end of the line. They never had any of this. They have to look for outside things because their parents or the people that were supposed to be there for them never were. They were never equipped. So these kids are real damaged. And, and uh, if we can give to our own kids what either we didn't have or we, there's still time left, I guess what I was saying. There's a lot of hope. You can start right now. You can start today. Where do you want to go to dinner? What do you want to do? And you know what? You do the talking. I'm going to shut up. And that, if you tell that to your teens, it's a good start. Good job. Good job. That's a good word right there. Uh, 25 years ago, God gave Karen a dream and said, write down these things about working with kids. And she said, why? And uh, 25 years later, she knows why God gave her that dream and gave her a lot of wisdom on how to work with young people. Now, while I'm talking to you guys about connecting with young people, our children's pastor and our youth pastor right now are talking to young people about how to connect with adults. So we're doing this thing together. We're going to whoop up on the devil, and he's not going to be busting up families in this spiritual community. Amen? 
All right, so I'm going to ask uh, parents and grandparents, would you please stand? I'm going to ask the rest of the congregation to reach your hands out to them. No fear. And, and I'm one of them, so please. My, my wife looked at me or elbowed me on about five out of ten of those statements that you... And it was, wow, you do that well. That's the way I interpret it. Wow, you're good at that. Okay, look at how many parents and grandparents we have here. Reach your hands out to them. You're part of this community. And let's pray now uh, for, for the wisdom of God to begin to pour into us. Let's really whoop up on the devil. Let's let the next couple of weeks be a foundation-laying couple of weeks where we find our homes being solidified. Father, we stand before you as sons and daughters of God. We stand before you as the salt and light of the world. And we say no to those who would say to us, teenagers are trouble, children are a burden, or the thoughts we have that we're going to screw them up. We say no to that. We completely reject that. And we say, Father God in heaven, teach us. Show us the kingdom way. Give us the father's and the mother's heart. We ask wisdom pour into our hearts and our minds right now. We're not dead yet. Neither are they. We're right here. It's our day. It's our time. And we say, kingdom of God, come now into our homes. Will of God be done. Establish us as kingdom lighthouses in this city. We pray for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Father, we pray that the blessings that we're receiving from you go down through our spiritual loins into our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. Raise up, God, a mighty young generation in this house that believes that they can advance the kingdom of God at their school, in their home, among their friends. Father, we pray for a divine spiritual DNA to begin working its way through our relationships in this house. I pray finally for every person here that does not have children, that they would see themselves. Would you please stand? I'm going to ask everybody to stand now. I pray, Father, for every member of this house to see themselves as an instrument in your hand. Every young person that they bump up against on this campus, I pray they will proactively approach young people and ask them, how's your day? I pray, Father, that every adult on this campus would honor the young generation that's on this campus, that we would add dignity to them as Satan is trying to steal it from them. May we become their greatest defenders and greatest cheerleaders in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. Give your uh, friend a high five, and I'll see you at a connect group this week or next Sunday.